Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, what it means for the Supreme Court, and how it's being covered in the press. So we all know that over the last decades, RBG, as we came to know her, became something of a cultural icon as well as a force on the Supreme Court. We're thrilled to be joined today by one of the two directors of a documentary about Ginsburg called RBG, Betsy West. Here's a clip from the trailer for the movie. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. We welcome today Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's become such an icon. Do you mind signing this copy? I am 84 years old, and everyone wants to take a picture with me. <laughs> Notorious RBG. Yeah, yeah. When you come right down to it, the closest thing to a superhero I know. Betsy is a former colleague from Columbia Journalism School, and I'm thrilled to have her here. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you, Kyle. Happy to be here. It's great to have you. What a great movie. Thank you. What a great movie. I rewatched it. Um, I think CNN re-aired it over the weekend. Well, yeah. you know, what a privilege to be able to tell the life story of this extraordinary woman. Where were you and what were you doing when you heard the news that she had died? Uh, I was in my kitchen and my directing partner, Julie Cohen, called me and, uh, and gave me the news. Had you all, I mean, obviously been reported that she had been sick and then recovered and then had been sick again. Um, did you know that it was as serious as it was? I think that we all, when we heard the news in May and June that she was uh, undergoing treatment yet again, uh, that was a signal that things were very serious. And frankly, I'd been kind of holding my breath all summer, but I was, I was surprised at how shocked I was because... Uh-huh. You know, she she overcame so much that I kind of had this feeling like, oh, she's going to push through this. Right. So tell me about your interactions with her making the movie. I mean, you are a longtime TV news um, producer and executive. I think you've you've won 21 Emmys, which is amazing. So you have a lot of experience in dealing with subjects uh, of your work um, as a journalist. How is she different than other subjects that you've focused on? Well, she's a a very unlikely subject. You know, a shy, retiring, serious, intellectual person. Not only that, a justice on the Supreme Court and, you know, justices on the Supreme Court really cannot talk about issues. Uh, But uh, Julie and I approached her in 2015 um, after she had you know, become the notorious RBG for all the uh, dissents that um, had galvanized people as the court was becoming more conservative. And we realized that there was a lot more to her story. Uh, Her, even if she hadn't been a Supreme Court justice, she'd already won a place in history uh, for what she did in the 1970s as a litigator to fight for women's rights. Uh, We had both interviewed her briefly some years back, and we also knew about the amazing love story. And we thought, well, her fans, her notorious RBG fans, don't know the whole story. And this is an extraordinary 
a person and we wanted to tell her life story, not to go in there as journalists to start trying to get her to say something newsworthy about things before her on the court, because, of course, she was never going to talk about that kind of material. Mm -hmm. She comes across in the movie and then in other um, bits of video that I've seen as I mean, there is there is as you say, partly because of her job, but I just think because of her personality, kind of a reticence and a, and a bit of a distance. Um, did Was that the case when the camera was off as well? Yes. She is a, a shy person uh, and, and, and retiring. And yet when you spend some time around her, you realize what a sharp sense of humor she has and how intently she listens and uh, focuses. So um, I think like all of her uh, clerks used to talk about uh, the, the rule of just waiting to make sure she had, you know, when you would ask a question or start to talk to her, you might get a pause, a long pause. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the instinct would be to jump in there and say, you know, well, what I mean to say or whatever, you'd have to wait because she was really uh, formulating her thoughts and would give you a very sharp and clear answer. You just had to wait for it. Why do you think she agreed to do the movie, to participate in the movie? Yeah, you know, I think that um, Justice Ginsburg understood that she was a role model for a lot of people, uh, certainly for many women, but also for everybody who uh, have shared her views about the rule of law and human rights and civil rights, LGBTQ rights, and, and that there was value in her telling the story of the life she had led. She faced a lot of adversity in her life, and yet through her very determined approach, her optimistic approach, frankly, uh, she she pushed through. And I, and I think uh, when she saw the notorious RBG phenomenon, it wasn't something she had in any way instigated. Mm -hmm. a, a law student uh, had come up with this nickname. And, you know, at first, Justice Ginsburg didn't even know really what the joke was. She didn't even know who Notorious B.I.G. was. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, once she she got the joke and understood that this was a way for her to uh, get a larger audience of people who might not necessarily pay attention to constitutional law and to things she really cared about. So that's what it was. Do you, I mean, I, I was struck, uh, and you and I talked briefly right before we came onto the podcast, but I was stuck, struck in the last week um, since she died by the number of journalists who came forward to say they had met her, they had talked to her. They, I mean, she seemed quite sophisticated in her dealings with the press, uh, more than I would expect from a Supreme Court justice. Um, you, you say that... Um, she, this was a way for her to get her views out. But what else was at play there? Did she think that having this kind of profile could help her in her dealings with other justices, help her in her dealings with policymakers? Do you know if she thought, thought or did she articulate how she thought this through? Well, she didn't articulate that. And I, I kind of doubt 
that it necessarily helped with her fellow justices, although yeah. she was very well liked, but um, I'm sure they can't all have loved the attention that she yeah. got. Yeah. Um, you know, she was very engaged in the civic life of our country, and um, I paying a lot of attention to it. And in terms of her dealing with journalists, I think that she, like many of the justices, uh, did have relationships with journalists, would meet and talk with them off the record. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a I've, I've never been part of the uh, Supreme Court journalism uh, cadre. That's, you know, I've never covered the court, but I know that um, other reporters who who are there at the Supreme Court every day do meet informally mm -hmm. with the justices and talk to them. And, and mm -hmm. she was, you know, part of that tradition. Mm -hmm. What do you make of this, this kind of a deathbed <laughs> wish that was reported. I think it was to her, to her, was it to her granddaughter? Who, who yes. was it that said, yes. yes. That, um, that, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it was reported, her granddaughter reported that uh, Justice Ginsburg said it is her fervent wish that her successor be selected by a new president. And, and then I think Trump eventually said, well, that doesn't ring true. I don't think she said it. And of course, he doesn't know. Does it sound to you like something she would have said? Well, if Clara said she said it, I believe Clara. Right. It's Clara Spira. We had interviewed her. She is a uh, a young attorney herself, and I have no reason to distrust what she said. Right. Have you been surprised by the the reaction to her death? To me, to the enormity of the response and the, and the emotional level of the response, or or did you understand that having spent so much time on the movie? You know, having seen the reaction that people had to Justice Ginsburg wherever she went in life, I was not particularly surprised by the reaction to her death, frankly. I mean, you couldn't, she couldn't sneak into a, a Broadway play, you mm -hmm. know, at the last minute and try to be discreet without somebody noticing who was there and standing ovation and applause. I mean, she really did come to symbolize a lot for people who agreed with her views about democracy. And, you know, we would go to events. I mean, you know, a, a seminar at a law school, that's hardly um, <laughs> an exciting uh, or, or crowd drawing thing. I think that she, she did a talk in, uh, in Arkansas with um, uh, former president Clinton and they had to, uh, rebook the auditorium to accommodate 18,000 people in oh Arkansas. God. I mean, oh my extraordinary. Right. So Ginsburg became such a pop culture figure that she she won the sort of ultimate honor in terms of that, which was to be spoofed on Saturday Night Live. Here's a, a clip uh, from SNL um, from a weekend update skill about it. You might not have a full bench for long because Justice Kennedy says he's considering retiring. Are you worried about that? Yeah, of course I am. I, I can't wait to see the goon Trump brings in next. The Honorable Justice Steven Seagal. <laughs> Kennedy, Kennedy was supposed to be our swing vote, right? If he goes, it's going to be Justice Roberts. And if he's swinging, I'm taking my keys out of the bowl. <laughs> 
You smell like, what is, what is that? I don't know. What is, it smells like smoke. What is it? It's a Ginsburn. There was a really interesting piece that ran in the Times last month by Amanda Hess about the fandom around RBG. Did you see that? I do remember reading something about this that but somehow criticizing the fandom. Well, it, it, it's, it's basic point was that, well, I'll, I'll read there's, yeah, it's read well, it. I think it's really well done. It's, she says, as Trump's presidency drags on and Ginsburg's hospital visits appear with ever greater frequency, all this hagiography appears increasingly misplaced. Ginsburg's descents are as cutting as ever and chemotherapy does not appear to have slowed, slowed her down. It is her fandom that feels spent. She was fashioned into the star of mythical vision of the Obama era that never really existed. The dawn of a post-racial society in which liberals were so comfortable in their dominance that they could consume their own politics as if they were kitschy pop culture artifacts. I mean, it's, it's diminishing of the fandom of RBG, but it's also making the argument that she, that people have been hanging on to her as a way to sort of bring themselves back to this this other now mythical period um, of our country. What did you what do you make of that? Well, um, first of all, I think her life story is about a lot more than, you know, our current situation. Mm -hmm. Number one. I mean her legacy is about so much more than, you know, the role that she played on the court as the great dissenter. I think, you know, we always have had heroes <laughs> in our society you know, going, going back to the Greeks. And um, I think that she has, while she wasn't a perfect person, and, um, you know, I think that uh, uh, she certainly had her flaws, she represented something that has become increasingly important to people and that, that is meaningful right now um, at a time when so much seems to be hanging in the balance. Justice Ginsburg was a very pragmatic and practical person. And um, she was ex very pragmatic and strategic in the way that she, as a litigator, took after, you know, century old <laughs> traditions and laws that discriminated against women. And she found a way to, to, uh, to change that. And I think she was very pragmatic um, in her approach on the bench. She understood that she was now writing often in the minority. She was dissenting, and she would have loved to have been writing in the majority, but she wasn't. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, she was able to call out to Congress to when in a dissent in the Lily Ledbetter case, uh, when the majority ruled that there shouldn't be retroactive back pay for a woman who had been discriminated against, Justice Ginsburg was basically called on Congress and said, hey, if you want to change this, change the law. You know, now we have a situation in which um, rulings that she thought were wrong have gone through and there is no redress with Congress. Uh, I guess she would take a, a, a pragmatic approach right now to say that uh, the way to change things is is through the vote right and how heartbroken 
do you think she was in in or I don't even know how to phrase this, but I mean knowing that the decision on her replacement will come from Trump. Yeah, I mean I I, I can't speculate. I um obviously she put out that statement um saying that it was her her fervent hope otherwise. Um, I will just say that I have never met anyone who was a more optimistic person. Mm. She mm. really was. And mm. she would often quote the Martin Luther King line about the arc of justice, mm -hmm. you know, the, the arc of history being long, but bending toward justice. Mm -hmm. She believed in that. And what a great love story that was. I mean, that to me was, the, that was my favorite part of your movie, frankly. <laughs> I mean, I knew a lot of this other stuff or it was sort of was in the back of my mind, but that was just so incredibly lovely. And the yep. way they talked about, about each other was so incredibly lovely. Um, you know, the first time I interviewed her, frankly, which was in 2011, I was scared, a little scared to ask her about Marty because he had hmm. only died within that year. And I just thought, oh, I don't want to upset her. So I waited until the end of the interview. And I, and I just said to her, tell me about Marty. And her face lit up i mean you just couldn't nobody could mention his name that it didn't make her happy this was a true love story and mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's one of our our favorite parts too as i mentioned at the top i mean you spent um most of your career in very hard news um 60 minutes primetime live nightline did this move into uncharted territory in terms of the way that I mean, did you feel an affection for her, despite the fact that she was a subject or source of a journalistic enterprise in a way that made you rethink some of, of the way that you approached these kind of projects? Well, I think if you're doing a, you know, hour and a half long documentary um, about a person, you um, are doing your best to make it both uh, informative and entertaining. And luckily, we had a subject who uh, both Julie Cohen and I found absolutely fascinating. Um, and yet, we're both journalists. Uh, Julie is a graduate of Columbia Journalism School. She worked for NBC. I worked for ABC and for CBS. And, um, you know, we brought a we believed a journalistic standard uh, to the project. When uh, Justice Ginsburg made comments in the summer of 2016 derogatory to then-candidate President Trump, that was something that we had to cover, and we had to ask her about it. Um, you know, she would have loved to have just kind of said, oh, I've made a mistake and slough it off, but, um, you know, it was something that we had to raise. Did you find yourself, was it was it was it harder to do to to make those kind of decisions with her than you had with than you than you had with other projects? Not not really. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's always asked tough to <laughs> I think tough to ask somebody an embarrassing question or a question right. that you know they don't want to go there and you know they don't want to go there, but you've got to ask the question and you've got to push past when they. Uh, when when they try to evade it. I mean, I don't love doing that, but it's it's important because, you know, if you're not bringing that kind of um, uh, skepticism and 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 sharpness to the reporting, then people are going to find it suspect. And we felt we had to do it. Yeah. 
She also was dismissive of Colin Kaepernick's kneeling during the national anthem in comments in 2016. Do, do you, did you have a sense of how tuned in she was, especially to sort of protest around racial injustice, police violence? And is this something that, that she was as engaged in as she was on other issues? Well, she certainly didn't know who Colin Kaepernick was. Uh -huh. She didn't understand the question. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Mm -hmm. um, and she wasn't tuned into that, but I think um, she was extremely um, aware of, you know, issues involving, uh, you know, well, certainly civil rights issues, and then ultimately, um, you know, some of the the protests over police violence that have happened in this past year. Although, you know, I really didn't have a chance to ask her about that mm -hmm. um, because, you know, that's a more recent uh, development. When's the last time you spoke to her? I saw her very briefly in January when she came to uh, Union Theological and did a Q&A with Bill Moyers. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, she talked then about her then colleague, Polly Murray, who had been on the ACLU, an African-American lawyer, an activist who'd been with her on the uh, ACLU board mm -hmm. in the late 60s and 70s, and who went on to become the first African-American uh, non-male Episcopal priest. Mm -hmm. And um, she was talking a lot about Polly Murray and her legacy. So, Betsy, what what's next for you? I mean, how do you find another subject after this? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, this really was the uh, opportunity of a lifetime to do a story about someone so, you know, such an important figure in our history. Um, Julie and I are working on a film about another a uh, groundbreaking woman now uh, no longer with us, but who actually also changed the world, uh, Julia Child. Oh, wow. Yeah. How so fun is that? Yeah, that's pretty fun. And she has also, you know, great a great story, great sense of humor, wonderful love story. So that's been oh. a, a real respite during this. Uh, also a cult time. cultural icon of her time. Absolutely. Well, Betsy West, it was great having you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle. Um, you can read CGR's coverage of the ongoing fight over uh, the replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg at CGR.org and follow our daily email at the media today. Thanks for listening. See you next week.